greetings, listeners. This is the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Uh, I am your host, Bird, and joining me is my co-host. This is where you introduce yourself. Hey everybody, it's Matt. That's Matt, and um, uh, we are here with another episode. Uh, we haven't quite decided what order we're going to put a lot of these out in because we have a lot of stuff recorded, but um, I think we want to get this one out a little sooner just because we have breaking news. Isn't that right, Matt? Yeah, so, well, there's a couple things. First of all, Funimation picked up Godzilla Resurgence and is going to release it in theaters sometime in 2016. They said late 2016. So I'm assuming this is going to be a limited theatrical release similar to what they did with Attack on Titan and the recent Dragon Ball Z films. Yeah, that, that's what they've been doing with uh, a lot of their like major acquisitions, like um, the Eva rebuild movies. Um, and, uh, I mean, they're, they're the, they usually do those... Um, do it with I think I think they usually do it with Fathom events where you know they just have a few screenings um, in the course of a week or two uh, and they seem to be relatively successful so um, and I know and I I know they do that in a lot of states too so chances are a lot of us are going to be able to to catch this in theaters um, so that's exciting uh, yeah. I don't yeah. know if we're going to get a dub or what um and i know they just now announced attack on titan part one uh getting a blu-ray release so i don't know if they're gonna drag their feet getting it on blu-ray but um but no it's exciting uh and, and it's coming out later this year so um you know that that kind of you know i i'll i would rather just wait and see it on the big screen for the first time than track down a torrent or a bootleg of it uh, or a fan sub or something. I would rather just wait and experience it the way it should be. Yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping they go the sub route, which I think they will. Um, I don't, I don't see them dubbing it. But then again, this is a Godzilla film. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, <laughs> oh. I think some of their, yeah, I, I think, like, I, for example, I think their Dragon Ball release was. Did you see it? Yeah, I did actually. Okay, was, was that subtitled dub. or was that, that was dubbed? Yeah, but that's the thing. Funimation dubs all the DBZ yeah. stuff, but then Attack on Titan was subtitled. Yeah, because I saw both Attack on Titan movies in the theater, and they were subtitled. So I don't know. It could. I guess it could go either way. But I mean, I'm. But I, I mean, as long as it's a good translation, I don't care. Because I'm just excited to see a new Godzilla movie again in the theater. So on top of that, we also had a new trailer that launched early this week. Uh, yeah. Um. um... I don't know. I didn't find it much more exciting than the last trailer. I think some of the effects look a little bit more uh, polished. I think Godzilla himself looks looks decent. Um, but anytime there's like explosions or smoke or something like that, uh, the CG is still pretty wonky, um, <laughs> in my opinion. I I do think Godzilla looks impressive for being a Japanese CG creation, but. Um, the rest of the CG and digital effects are still look kind of cheap. It doesn't quite look as like uh, I guess homemade. Like it looks like they might have done some some color coding and post and stuff just to make it look a little bit better. Uh, other than that, though, it's really not that much different from the other trailer. Um, it's really just kind of generic looking footage of people talking, but 
uh, they just play opera music over it instead of <laughs> actually letting us hear what they're saying. So there's really no no context for any of it. Uh, it, it still looks like another uh, kind of a a knock on Godzilla '84 with it just being a movie of a bunch of meetings and you know people wanting to know what to do about it, which. In 84, I think that I actually really like that, but I don't know if, I don't know. We'll have to see the spin uh, that they're willing to take on it um, to see how exciting they can make that. But I actually like this trailer a lot more, mainly because we did see a lot more footage of Godzilla. My only concern is with the, like, the weird proportion of his legs, I'm, I'm really concerned about if they ever show him walking, which there's one scene where he's walking on the beach that I think looks absolutely terrible. Yeah. But the rest of the time you see him moving, he's like either extreme up close or shots or there's like him shrouded in smoke. And those uh, are fine. I think they have to do that probably because it looks so weird when he's moving. Yeah, um, I don't really know why he's still so like um... – Kim I don't know. I don't like. That's what he looks. Like. Well, I don't know why he do, he's so like immobile. And I I've seen everything from people saying it's a homage to the fifty four suit to that he's more threatening that way. But I I don't know. I I I don't I don't necessarily think he should be like running around like he did in the seventies. But I also don't think I I would like to see him do things other than stand there. I don't have a problem with the slowness. What I have a problem with is the fact that, like, he has his, his tiny, like, up-and-down body, and then all of a sudden he's got these massive legs. And when he <laughs> right. moves, it just looks weird. It just looks it, – it looks otherworldly, and it's sort of like that, you know, suspension of, of belief that you'd have to have, like, just goes out the window, especially in a CG creature, I think. Yeah. And I don't, I don't buy the – it's a homage to the 50 – the wave of 54 – Godzilla was because that 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 suit was a pain in the ass. There's a reason that the suits they made after it were lighter. Like it he weighed like 200 pounds. Yeah, he wasn't like that. Wasn't really the idea to make him slow. That slow, or he was supposed to be that slow, but that immobile. The reason he's that immobile is because the suit was huge and it. And, uh, I mean, Nakajima fell over in it a bunch of times because it was so big, which is why the suits that followed were a lot lighter so he could, you know, have more movement and freedom. So I don't know about – I don't know about that. And and I also feel like if you – if they're in, I've I've also heard people say like, well, it's a CG, but it's it's meant to look like a suit. But I don't. But if that's the point, why not just make it a suit? I, the, the, the biggest problem here was that Higuchi fell in love so much with what they did with the Attack on Titan, Colossal Titan puppet that he wanted to do it again with Godzilla, and you know they they couldn't really get the thing to work, and there were all kinds of logistical issues with it. So they just said, "Screw it, we'll we'll just do it as CG." Uh, but I mean, I just wish he he kept the the tradition of a person in a suit. That way, we we would have avoided all this altogether. Yeah, it could have been closer to Gamera Three, which to me still looks good. In my, I mean, and that's how old is that movie now? It's what seventeen uh, years old, I guess. Yeah, it's what, almost 99? twenty years old. Yeah. God, we're that mean. You know what that means? We're old. Yeah. <laughs> that's what that means. Um. But uh, and also, I mean, a lot of a lot of hubbub has been made of the 
the purple ray or the purple charge up or whatever you want to call it. But... I almost started singing Purple Rain. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure Hideki Anno would have loved that. Uh, according to the to the rumor. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, the the beam's purple. A lot of people really like talking about that for some reason. I. I mean, I'm fine with it. Like, yeah, yeah, it's it's. I mean, I actually think it looks pretty cool in the in the trailer. You get a glimpse of the charge up. And yeah, and it, I mean, de- depending on what you watch, Godzilla's beam can be uh, blue. It can be like a, a mist. It can be orange. It can be green. Like, a, so I mean, purple isn't so far out of the question as far as i'm concerned well especially for this godzilla like this is the weirdest take on godzilla since the 98 film and maybe this is like the weirdest take yet really especially for the japanese version and to me this is kind of like right in line with something that's different and unique and it and it looks i mean it looks pretty cool at least the the charge-up did so i'm anxious to see what it actually looks like once he fires it yeah and i mean i there's a lot of like crazy rumors going on from pretty unreliable sources that i don't necessarily believe um (laughs) i I don't believe them yeah and i don't think the trailer looks is very you know i think i think it's a movie that looks kind of low budget and it, i don't see much to really be convinced that it has anything amazing to offer but that's mostly just because they they they're really not giving us much to, to look at in these trailers but i i do know that hideki anno knows how to craft a story he knows how to write characters and I'm looking for I that's that's what keeps me optimistic is that I know that he knows how to tell a good story. Um so I'm I'm looking forward to it uh, in that way it, that you know it's a new Godzilla movie. I'm super excited that I'm going to get to see it in theaters and I mean I I want it to be good because I mean I love Godzilla. It's my favorite franchise. I mean and yeah. Uh, yeah. so I don't know. I mean, it, it, I, I, I'm, I'm excited to see it, but you know, I, I think it's fair that I have tempered expectations also. Yeah. I'm kind of going in with low expectations, hoping that it could be good and not thinking that it will be so that if it is like, I'm going to be ecstatic. And if it's not, I'm not going to be yeah. 90, you know, 1998 me getting my soul crushed. Yeah. And even <laughs> if it's what? terrible, I mean, we'll survive. We, we made it yeah. through 1998. We'll be okay. Yeah, that's true. We still have thirty other movies that, if we want to watch, we can we can watch. We'll be fine. Um, and then uh, I guess um, uh, did we even talk about the Shin Chan special? I don't even know if we did. I don't. I don't know if we did. Well, in, in case we didn't, just really quickly, the animated uh, cartoon Shin Chan, which is I, guess, I didn't even know it was still going in Japan, but it plays here on Adult Swim. They're doing a an official crossover with Godzilla, where Godzilla shows up and the the little kid has to fight him or something. I don't know. I don't quite understand it. But it's airing tomorrow in Japan, and you can catch a live stream at least Eastern Standard Time at roughly 6.30 in the morning. Which, by the time you hear this, it'll be long over. So I don't even know why I'm telling you that. Um, it's a, <laughs> from, it'll be online somewhere. Somebody will have it hosted for you to be able to stream, I'm sure. Probably subtitled by the time you hear this. Yeah. 
That, that would be great. I mean, I, I, I'll watch it without subtitles if I have to, but I know I'm not going to understand a, a damn thing. Um, I, what do, isn't that a weird crossover that Godzilla is cross the like what's supposed to be the most like serious version of Godzilla yet is crossing over with like a goofy like cartoon show? I, nothing makes sense about all like he's crossing over with a bunch of stuff that I just don't understand. But this is like actual media. It's not just like a T-shirt or something. Like this is yeah. like. An official Godzilla appearance, like this is this is this would be like if like like uh, like <laughs> Batman v Superman did like an official crossover with like The Simpsons. Right. Yeah, yeah, I like that's I weird. <laughs> I just don't understand. <laughs> I really don't. Either. I mean, but I, it's I don't know. I mean, hopefully it's interesting. Um, uh, weird that that's like. One of the f- only times Godzilla's been animated in Japan, also. Yeah, like, I, I thought they might have done, like, a Evangelion crossover first. Yeah. Or something. A Godzilla versus Eva, just like a short film, that would be awesome. Yeah, like, I feel like that's definitely more of a, like, I thought that's what we would have seen. Like, hey, surprise, this is happening, because they have all the other tie-ins already. I'm like, that actually makes more a lot more sense, but... yeah. Oh, two more things that we should talk about before we get into our main topic. Um, I usually, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest here. I, and uh, me and Trev got into a debate with this on if it bleeds, like a f- couple years ago. I don't really understand fan films, and like I get like shorts, but like fan movies, I don't really understand them. And I'm not saying that as a knock. I mean, I've seen good ones. I respect the people that do them. But one that I saw that struck me as interesting was um, uh, what, what's that? What's that guy's name? Uh, the Tall Kingdom guy, Chris Muir. 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 What, what? I don't know. I don't <laughs> know. The name of it. Yeah, isn't that Thor's hammer? Isn't uh, that the name yeah. of Thor's hammer? <laughs> it seems that way, doesn't it? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Chris, uh, if he's listening, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, upset the man because I'm about to, to say that he, he did a, a fan anime, which there's like a, a teaser out, and it actually looks pretty cool. Like, um, I'm not sure how big his crew was or how many animators he had, but um, for a fan-made anime-style um cartoon it it looks pretty pretty slick and what was even cooler about it that i was super impressed with was that he got oshima um she's the uh, machiro oshima she's the woman that did the scores for the um tezuka godzilla movies some of i think probably the best uh scores in the series is doing an original soundtrack to it yeah, I don't know how he pulled that off. I don't either. Awesome. That's amazing. So again, like I said, I, I I may not know how to pronounce his name, and I may think it's very similar to Thor's hammer's name, <laughs> but <laughs> I think that's awesome. And uh, I would love to know more about how he pulled that off. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not super into the fan film thing, but just just that alone tells me that you know maybe there's something special here, and um, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing um, what he does. I th- what's it called? It's Godzilla, 
total total destruction or Godzilla something destruction, I think. Yeah, and and I think it's got Godzilla, King Ghidorah, Rodan, and Mothra. If I read, there's like a little thing at the very end, and it lists all the monsters. And I think it's basically uh, looks like kind of Ghidra, the three headed monster. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, props to to Chris for for pulling that off. I think that's that's awesome, and I I, I look forward to check that checking that out and. Yeah, I, I would eventually like to get someone on here to talk about fan films because in any kind of nerd subculture, whether it's Star Wars or whatever, fan films are huge. And I, I again, I'm not saying it with any kind of disrespect. I personally don't understand like why someone would want to create their own unofficial version of something instead of doing like something original. I mean, if if anyone can explain that to me, that'd be awesome. And I, I I'm not saying that with any kind of, you know, I just don't personally understand it. I need more insight. And the final and probably the oldest news at this point that I want to talk about is Brian Cranston playing Zordon in the Power <laughs> Rangers movie, which is awesome. Like my excitement level for that movie went from like five to like ten just based on that. Um. And uh, I think maybe it's starting to get the Power Rangers fan base a little bit more on board. Uh, I'm fully on board at this point. I mean, I thought Elizabeth Banks as Rita was brilliant casting, and this is just taking it a mile further. And what's awesome about it is that, like he's excited about it. He started his career at Power Rangers, and he seems more than happy to to go back and work work in the in that series again and when someone of his stature is willing to you know embrace their goofier you know genre roots i think that's always cool because you always hear about people that you know they start off in some horror movie or something and you know they just don't want to talk about it once they get big and i don't know cranston's just awesome anyway um and hopefully they don't kill him in the first 10 minutes yeah, thanks, Godzilla 2014. I, you know, I mean, we're we're going to do an episode about that movie, but I actually rewatched it, and I still enjoy it quite a bit, but I just can't sh- just get over how how they... Because he is, he is by far the best performance and the, be- like, the most interesting character in the movie, and I know they said they tried different versions of the script where he stuck around and they never could make it work, but... So I, I, who am I to judge? Because I haven't read those scripts or anything, but I just can't get rid of the feeling that that was just like the fa- the the biggest mistake made in that movie. I agree, hundred percent. I do have breaking news, by the way. Oh boy! As, as we're talking, this is semi Godzilla related, but it's, it's, it's tied to Voltron, which I don't know if you've watched that yet, but I was a big fan. They just announced at uh, Comic Con, San Diego Comic Con, that Voltron season two is officially. Uh, has, it, it's been officially announced, so that'll be coming to Netflix at some point, uh, which which I'm stoked for. So I recommend that you check that out if you haven't. We need to talk about it at some point. All right. Um, but season two is around the corner. Yeah. Okay. I was never a Voltron guy, so I, I'll you know maybe I'll get there one one day. Until then, you're my you're you're the guy that's going to cover Voltron. That that's fair. It's 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 a really cool show, man. I'm surprised that. Uh, that that you like? Did you ever watch the original series at all? Not really. I have well, vague memories, and I had a couple of the toys, but I never really watched it. Well, the the toys are awesome, but the new show is great too. Okay. And uh, 
Yeah. Anyway. All right. So I guess we'll get into our main topic, which is I'm not quite sure what to call it. Now, I want to do an episode about the non-Godzilla kaiju movies from the Showa era. Um, so I guess more or less these are the solo kaiju movies that Toho did in that time period. Now, I want to start with the caveat that there are some movies that I didn't choose to cover here. I just wanted to select a handful. Um, but uh, we're not going to be talking about um, Frankenstein or the Gargantuas. Uh, I kind of want to do our own episode just about those two, the Frankenstein movies. Uh, King Kong Escapes we'll cover later on when we get into the Toho Kong movies. So the ones I thought would be the easiest um, to do in one episode, uh, we're going to be talking about Rodan, uh, Mothra, Varan, uh, what else? What else did I say? <laughs> what else we want? Oh, Dogura, uh, Dogura, the space monster, and um, Yog, <laughs> uh, monster from space. Um, and well, I guess Yog technically isn't a solo kaiju movie, but that that movie is in such a weird like place in time that I I don't know where where or when else we'll talk about it. So yeah, I thought it was only fair. Um, to throw to throw poor old Yog a bone. Um, so I guess uh, yeah, I'm ready to just dive in. Um, now, did you watch all? Have you watched all of these recently? Yeah, I watched everything but uh, Mothra recently. But I've seen Mothra a couple times, so I'm pretty okay. familiar with it. Okay. Um, the only one I didn't watch recently was Yog, which I meant to, but I just got too busy with getting back from G-Fest and catching up on stuff at work and, and all that. I've just been exhausted. Um, but I do actually have it on in the background right now. <laughs> so maybe that will suffice. But regardless, this is a movie, that's a movie I've seen a bunch of times since I was a kid. So, you know, I'm I'm sure I'll be fine. Uh, so I guess um, we'll we'll just give a little bit of history well, first of all, this is a, this, this, one of the reasons I like the Showa period so much is that it wasn't just focused on Godzilla. Um, Toho, you know, they knew they had a moneymaker franchise with Godzilla, but they also are more willing to try new things, try different ideas, and maybe get another franchise if something was successful enough or um, if the, they wanted, they would have a whole stable of monsters that they could pull into the Godzilla series at a later date. So what you have is really Toho building their own, really their own cinematic universe. And I love that they were just willing to try different ideas, come up with different monsters and different um, non-Godzilla-related kaiju movies. And if they wanted Godzilla to fight a monster later, you know, just pull one of those in. Um, so that's part of the reason why this time period is so interesting to me, because you really see a kind of freedom and uh, willingness to do other things than after the 70s, the, the, the formula was cemented, and, you know, it was a Godzilla movie every year, every year, every year, that continued into the Heisei and Millennium series, so you really didn't have those solo monster movies, or at least not very many of them, the way that you did back then. Um, 
So, I don't know. I, I always wish that, you know, there were more original monster movies coming out of Toho or Daie or any of those companies. But, you know, once they got those franchises locked in, you know, I really feel like they relied on just them. And I, I wanted, I want more outlandish and original ideas. So, um, so, uh, Rodan, I guess we can start with Rodan. Now, um... You watched this one recently, right? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Rodan. Yeah, it's a great movie. Which version did you watch? I, I pretty much only watched the Japanese version. Okay. I've seen the obviously seen the the uh, American version of the film, but I pretty much now only watch the Japanese versions of the film when I can. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Rodan. This is 1956. Um, Godzilla raids again. Really didn't perform the way that the first movie did. Um, but, you know, Toho really weren't comfortable letting the idea of giant monsters rest. Uh, they really saw the potential for, to, to make money at the box office with that idea. So, um, the, the next thing they got off the ground was indeed Rodan in 1956. Um, this is another, uh, Ishiro Honda movie. Um, Subaraya, Fukube, uh, really, really your... I guess um all your all your key creative components are in place and uh this movie does borrow quite a bit from them uh the giant ant movie the american movie have you seen them yeah, yeah okay. i've seen them all right you better have um <laughs> <clears throat> but um the idea is well the first the first, like, uh, maybe third or the first half of the movie is pretty interesting because it's really almost like a horror movie um, about yeah. these these giant insects uh, eating these miners. And then our main character gets trapped in a cave and he watches a Rodan hatch. And Rodan, of course, is a giant pteranodon. And... Um, and eventually it's revealed that there's two of them, a male and a female. Um, they never quite say what caused them to hatch. There's a, kind of a throwaway, throwaway dialogue where they kind of um, suggest that um, maybe bomb tests or just shifts in the Earth's crust opened up uh, oxygen pockets that um, kind of, uh, I guess, incubated the eggs, which I don't quite know how much sense that makes but um that's really the only idea we have as to why why the rodans hatch so um unlike godzilla it's not a direct connection to nuclear bombs uh which is kind of interesting because i feel like more than any movie rodan kind of sells the idea that kaiju are more like living volcanoes or hurricanes um because the rodans just come and go i mean it, it, that's like how it is with any kaiju attack but i think um just the way it, unlike most toho movies it doesn't focus on military or you know uh people with special abilities the your ma- the main characters are a mi- a minor and his fiance and so um you're really seeing it from more a civilian's point of view 
And uh, I think that's something that's a little more special about this movie. Um, so, Matt, what are your like? What what are your initial impressions of this movie? Like, and is there a reason why you prefer the Japanese version? And like, what? How did how did you grow up with this movie? Um, I had the the VHS of the American film, uh, American version. And I, I can't remember exactly when I got it, but, uh, you know, obviously what George Sakai was, you know, dubbed it as he did with a lot of the, <laughs> the or some of the Godzilla, or, you know, Toho films, Godzilla films. Um, the, the U.S. release is notable because they like rearranged some scenes and like shortened some scenes and they changed like uh, Rodan originally taxed Fukuoka and they changed it to like Seispo or something in the U.S. version because apparently like. Um, the U.S. actually had a bunch of diplomatic facilities in Fukuoka, and so they changed it to Sespo just to, like, I guess avoid some sort of controversy. Um, they also kind of, like, rearranged some stuff where um, they make the, the second Rodan actually appear really early in the film, whereas, like, the, in the original movie, the, the second one appears kind of later on. It's so almost towards the end, the, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's pretty late in the, in the film. Um, but like Rodin doesn't really even appear to like what it's like halfway through, uh, and yeah. and then the the um, Menagulon or however you say that um, those things are terrifying and like they have that weird like creepy squeaky music mm-hmm. when they appear. Um, they're killing off the miners. There's a, it's actually fairly brutal in a, in a couple shots when they're you know there's people that are like lacerated and cut and attacked and um, it, it's just kind of a, a scary like horror movie vibe at first. And then Rodan shows up and starts, like, just basically flying through the city and destroying everything. And then you have that really weird shot where um, Rodan's, like, breathing air. <laughs> but not, like, <laughs> it's not, like, fire, but he's, like, breathing air. And yeah, it's like stuff. a wind. Is, is there, like – is there a reason for that? Like, did they decide we kind of wanted to be like Godzilla and shoot some sort of breath ray or something? Probably. As far as I understand, it's just, like, a, a strong, like, wind breath. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wind breath. Yeah, I don't. It's the only movie where he uses it, so they must not have, you know, thought it was yeah. an idea worthy of keeping around. Um, <laughs> did, did you ever think it was weird that Rodan and like a lot of the Toho kaiju leave like what do you call it? Like when the air, in the sky. yeah. Did you because yeah. they don't have like engines or like they're not like, <laughs> they're just, like flying and like yeah they're not like gas powered vehicles. I don't. <laughs> I, I always thought that was so strange. Um, yeah, I was like, is that a jet or like? Uh, I'm trying to think. What's that terrible movie like the giant condor thing? You know what I'm talking about? Um, the, um, uh, the giant claw. Yeah, that movie was terrible. <laughs> I, don't know why I thought of that just now. I think yeah. that thing did it too, if I'm not mistaken. I don't, I don't remember. And, now, and, but, and, he, um, and, and he makes like jet sounds. Yeah, yeah, he does. He's like got that high pitched squeal. What's up with that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think this is also the first uh, monster movie in color, isn't it? Uh, yes, this is the Toho's first um, color. I want to say their first color movie, period. But I don't want to be quoted on that. So don't quote yeah. me on that, but I feel like that's true. But however, it is the first color uh, science fiction movie that they did. Yeah, and you have um, some good. I mean, you have Kinji Zahara's in this, which is great. Yeah, you know, and and where's the movie? I mean, it, it, there's there's a great team of people in this film. 
Yeah, a lot of your your classic Toho actors show up. Um, Akihiko Hirata shows up um, as uh, after the original Godzilla. He just showed up playing like your stock scientist guy, but um, <laughs> he does. But no, I mean he's always fun to see. Yeah, um, I do want to touch on what you said about the movie, the violence in the movie, because this movie is a little bit more violent um maybe and maybe it coming off of godzilla 54 um honda really wasn't done with you know just showing the effect uh of things like this on on people because oh after the first godzilla movie this is probably the the only other kaiju movie that really kind of focuses a lot on like grief like there's a, the scene of the the woman finding out her husband was killed, and yeah. um, you know there there's that young couple that go out and are killed by the Rodans, and there's um, like uh, after that pilot gets killed, you see his bloody helmet, and it, it's it's stuff that really isn't common in anything really after this. Yeah, like, and and they actually have that one scene where they, um, the the two miners, they're starting, they're, they try to blame one miner for attacking the other. Yeah, and they the like getting like a fist fight. Yeah, they're, they're blaming each other for the because nobody wants to believe like there's a uh, basically these these bugs in the in the mine, you know, basically cutting people to pieces. And then Rodian shows up and is like eating them as if they're not <laughs> they're nothing. It's yeah, which is. Um... Talk about like a cool twist is you know the the these creatures that are built up as your main monsters halfway through are just food for a bigger monster and then you know one thing about the end is like you kind of i mean for me anyway, I always kind of felt bad for I know Rodian's like causing all this destruction, but like the one Rodian gets caught in the volcanic eruption and like the other one kind of goes back to die with it, and there's kind of like that like I don't know I've always felt a lot of uh sympathy or empathy for for the monsters in in this case because like they're not they're just trying to survive in in, in a lot of ways and so like in in the one road in goes back and basically gets also caught in a blast and it's kind of a a sad uh a sad death I yeah guess. um and the u.s version really takes that to another level by really emphasizing out loud via the narration that the the one rodan seeing his mate engulfed in flame made him commit suicide which isn't deliberately spoken out loud like that in the japanese version so but yeah the 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 rodans themselves are have a a real kind of operatic quality to them that um really isn't isn't that common either in any other monster movies um i mean it show things like that show up every now and then but that that the the end of that movie really kind of puts the the emphasis on the fact that you know they might be big and indestructible creatures but they're still animals and you know um that's something that I think Honda's movies did rather well once you get into the Heisei era the monsters are treated more like giant gods than they are just you know animals that act instinctively yeah that's a very good point actually they're they're definitely uh is sort of a, a delineation there between how they're treated between the uh the shawa and, and the hesse area for sure 
Um, and this is also the movie that Honda gave one of his most famous quotes regarding the genre when he said, Monsters are tragic beings. They're not evil by choice. They're born too tall, too strong, and too heavy. That is their tra- their tragedy. They do not attack people because they want to, but because of their size and strength, mankind has no other choice to def- but to defend himself. After several stories such as this, people end up having a kind of affection for the monsters, and they end up really caring about them. Yeah, that's basically a, a, the best way that I can explain uh, my fondness for the for the Rodians at the end of the film is because you're like, yeah, I know you just destroyed everything and you kill people, but I'm still really sad that you're dead. <laughs> like you're right. you're going into the lava pit. Like it's just one of those things. Um, the other thing that's interesting is uh, the the idea. Like I, I hate the fact that the American version also replaces some of a Fugabe's score with some of the stock music, which happens. Yeah, I don't know why the they did that so often. I just, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't. That, that seemed to happen all the time. There's also a little bit of trivia that apparently this uh, Rodan appears in uh, Stephen King the the movie It the. He appears in that in that uh, movie. <laughs> I, guess. I didn't realize I didn't realize that until that's hilarious. Um, this is also the early days, so this is before they got a little bit more low budget. Um, so not only yeah, the the color photography is great, but the effects are really good. Uh, I I think this is still maybe I'm crazy, but I think after sixty years, practically. I feel like this is still the best that Rodan has ever looked. Um, the, the the this is my favorite by far of the Rodan suits. Yeah, I, I agree actually, because like in the later films, he kind of gets this like sort of smaller beak, and it makes him look slightly derpy. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't know. How to and, he, and he has like bigger, like the googly eyes. But this Rodan yeah. is—it's just a really slick looking um suit and there's a lot of great shots that uh are in like the uh like the attack um in the middle of the movie like where he like crashes down on that one building and then uh you know the part with the the where the bridge gets destroyed like the, those are some of the best monster attack scenes in 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 any of these movies i think and along with the original godzilla like you really feel the devastation uh, of of the the city being destroyed, yeah, and the, and the Rodian's kind of the pioneer of the wind attack um, that is often used again and again. Like you see, the Rodian flies over something, or just by flapping his wings, it creates this basically hurricane force winds that just level the entire city. Yeah, and it's a really awesome effect, honestly. Yeah, and see, pretty much any any monster that's been able to fly since has done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and even like Titanosaurus with uh, his fishtail thing or whatever yeah. that is. Um, so, I mean, I don't know, this movie, we've probably talked enough about this movie, because this yeah. one is regarded as one of the classics, and, yeah. uh, it's deserved, in my opinion. Um, I so, so I do take it you like the Japanese version more. Yeah, I, I think they both have their merits, but the American version kind of, like, changes things up. Yeah, um, I, 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 see, the American, I can pretty much watch either of them, like, uh, and like them equally. The American version... The narration is better than the Godzilla Raids Again narration, but it still falls into that, like, okay, you're just telling us everything that we're seeing on screen kind of thing. Yeah. Um, the best part of the narration is the ending uh, sp- 
speech at the very end about the Rodan's dying, which like it it it, it adds even a little bit more gravity to the deaths at the end. Other than that, I, I do prefer the Japanese version. And the score, of course, is is incredible. Yeah. I just love how like the baritone in the that opening theme is. Like it's it's awesome. So how many uh bloodied pilot helmets do you give this movie? <laughs> I mean this has gotta be five out of five, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, I agree. This one this one this one is just a classic. Okay, so we're we're gonna go into I guess a little bit more obscure territory. I feel like everyone knows what Rodan is at least. Um so we are going to uh fast forward to 1958 to Varan, the un- unbelievable. Um, so th- I, this one has kind of a complicated history. Um, well, I'm I'm sure a lot of people out there have seen this movie, but it is a little bit more on the obscure side. Um, most people that are familiar with uh, other movies of this time period will look at this movie and say. Wow, it, that seems a little cheaper than the other movies going on at the time. The reason you might be saying that is because it is a lot cheaper than the other <laughs> movies that were being made at the time. Some people might even venture to say, you know what, this really doesn't feel like that, really like a complete movie. It almost feels like a TV movie. Um, and the reason you might feel that way is because this was supposed to be a made-for-TV movie. Um did you know that? Didn't know that, actually. Okay. Uh, well, the story is that ABC, yes, that ABC, uh, here in America, were um, uh, had contacted Toho about doing a made-for-TV co-production, uh, a made-for-TV movie, which is already weird because made-for-TV movies weren't really that popular at the time, and to have them go outside to Japan to try and produce one is even stranger. I'm not quite sure whose idea that was or what was going on, but uh, that's what happened, and um, so that so that's, so that already is kind of showing you why maybe this was a little bit more low-budget. Um, and then uh, ABC's film division that was, you know, commissioning Toho to go in with them on this movie went under while they were uh, – after they'd already shot much of the movie. Um, so they lost a lot of their they, – they kind of literally ran out of money. And so um, – uh, the, the so they had to the, they had to finish shooting um, without a whole lot of time or money left and the footage that ha- they had shot already to be um, full screen to be uh, to fit on a TV screen they had to zoom in and crop um, uh, the picture so that's why at the beginning it says Toho pan scope because they had to pan and crop the picture. So that's why it's the only um, kaiju movie that Toho did that opens with the Toho pan scope. That's also why it was in black and white, because TVs weren't, didn't have color at the time. Um, so there's your history lesson, I guess. Uh, now, having just recently watched this movie for the first time, does that, ma- does that make the issues with this movie make a little more sense? 
Um, yes, I mean, slightly, but, like, my issues with the movie were more probably with the storytelling, to be honest okay. with you. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, the story is pretty simple. Um, some butterflies native to, I think they say Siberia, are yeah. found in a, in a tiny little village in Japan, and um, a university sends some guys out to see if they can find these butterflies and why they're there, and they get killed by a monster who the locals in the village say is the Baradagi. And um, uh, so then um, one of the people's, I guess it's, I think it's his sister and um, one of the people from the university and a photographer all go to the island to figure out what's up. And you had this is this is the beginning of a lot of like those Toho tropes. Like this is the first like suspicious native tribe that we see. This is the first um, like time they go to an another region and and encounter a foreign monster and piss them off. And um, uh, also, this is the first time that you hear some of the famous Afukube cues. This is the first time you hear yeah. what this is. A, yeah, this is the first time you hear what would become. King Ghidorah's theme. Um, you get a little bit of uh, the King Kong versus Godzilla music in here before those movies existed. Um, but yeah, the the story, uh, like for the first like twenty thirty minutes, it's moving along at a relatively nice pace. You have your cast of characters, but then once they leave the once they, after Veron's first attack on the village. The movie really, and I'm I, I and I'm glad we didn't talk about this beforehand because I want to know what your first impressions of the movie were. But um, after Veron's first attack on the village, um, they, they really pretty much forget all about the main characters, and it's just <laughs> scene after scene of military people planning and in meetings. And okay, we're gonna try to lure him out with this. Oh, that didn't work. Okay, we're going to try and do this. Oh, that didn't work either. Well, we have to make sure he doesn't get to Tokyo, so we're going to try this. Oh, that didn't work either. Uh-oh, he's in Tokyo. What do we do? Like, and that's pretty much the movie from there on. And really, all these, all these scenes of like um, these plans and the military setups for these attacks, it's not that they're badly staged or anything. It's just that the movie is pretty much a montage of that from the... like. 40 minute mark through the end of the movie and the movie really just it it just stumbles and falls on its face after that <laughs> like i don't know well what would you said that you had your own issues as well like are they similar to mine like what what was especially as someone that just watched it for the first time and has it your reaction like fresh like what was your yeah. takeaway so, so I only watched the Japanese version, and I, and I definitely want you to talk about the American version. I'm sure. We'll oh, I, oh my God, I will. Yeah. Oh my, oh my Lord. But um, so the the first like half of the movie was actually pretty enjoyable, minus the fact that like the the, the sister is like supposed to be going investigating the death of her brother at the beginning of the film. Like that's one of the reasons why she's going. She's the reporter. She's going there with one of her brother's colleagues who was investigating the, the butterflies and then like this guy who's basically there taking pictures and she like doesn't seem to care <laughs> that her brother died she's like all she can talk about is getting this big scoop of a story like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah they pre she pretty much forgets all about her poor like, brother hey, my brother died uh i really just need this big story like that's all she seems to, to talk about like the fact that the brother dies 
and nobody seems to care. It's like, like that's my first problem with it. But at, like Ver- Veron's initial appearance is really well handled. Comes out of the lake, destroys the village. Everything, the miniatures are great. Um, the the, the Varen suit is actually kind of like it's it's okay. Like you can tell, like the the back plate is like basically just like I don't know. They got it rubber banded around them or something because it's like coming <laughs> yeah, off in, in it multiple moves scenes. A lot, right. <laughs> but um, I I didn't like the fact that they just like repurposed the Godzilla roar. Basically, like you can hear that it's literally just Godzilla's roar with a couple tweaks in some spots. Um. Man, it's 1958. They didn't know what they were doing. I know, I know. But, like, it was, for me, like, watching, I'm like, oh, man, I, I, every time I see this, like, every time I hear it, it's it's Godzilla. Um, But then, like, once he leaves and he, like, he f- somehow flies or, like, floats across the sky on his little, like, squirrel wings or whatever those things are. <laughs> right. I don't know <laughs> what those things are. Um, It's kind of this montage of, like, military attacks that just kind of go on too long. He's like hiding from the military at one point. And they like use death charge or depth charges to like to, to attack him underwater, and then he comes out and he, and he doesn't seem to be phased by him. He, it's just it's it's too much. It's too long. It's kind of convoluted. Yeah, there's then, a lot of just people waiting for looking for him. The the, yeah. the the second half of this movie isn't. It's not even our main characters. It's just mil- the military is looking for him, and then he shows up and they attack him, and it doesn't do anything. And like for some reason he he wants to eat flares. And really, that's, that's the part that I can't wrap my head around. He's like, I really want to eat these things, and then that's how they end up killing him because they put the flares attached to bombs and it ends up you know blowing him up from the inside. But like I, I, I liked the 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 miniatures are actually really well done. The special effects are are, are pretty good. There, there's obviously some reliance on stock footage. They use a lot of stuff from Godzilla, which I noticed right away. I'm not sure if the flares were from Godzilla raids again or not. I, I, I want to say they probably were, but I'm not sure. Maybe. The shots are too generic to really tell. Yeah, but, like, it was just weird. Like, he's, like, eating the flares, and he's got, like, the parachute hanging out of his mouth. It's <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, um, yeah. No, I'm I'm pretty much with you on, on all those things. Um, I will say, though, I the Varan is a monster I really like, and I really wish he got more of a... A chance to show up in something else. I mean, yeah, he has his cameo and destroy all monsters, but it's a shame that we never got to see him fight any other monsters or really do anything else. And of all the the Showa Toho kaiju, he's probably the one that I more than anything I wish uh, got another um, another chance. And there were several movies. Uh, like in the seventies, that you know, um, movies that weren't made where he was going to be included, and of course. Um, I mean, it's well known at this point that he was originally supposed to be one of the monsters in GMK, and um, it's just one of those things that I think is just uh, a shame, really. Uh, and I really, I, I really like the design. Um, it is one of those designs where I think he looks he I think he looks amazing as a silhouette or just any shots that you see of him from the side. But kind of like the Godzilla 62 suit, which I also love. When you look at it like from the front, it looks kind of goofy. But I think, I think it's, it's a really great design, and um, it's, it's a really interesting monster. And it's, it's too bad that uh, you know, he didn't show up, whether it's in, I mean, another Godzilla movie or in anything else. Um, I don't know. I, what did you think of Varan just as a monster? I actually really liked him. Um... I thought the design was really cool. I love the spikes. 
Um, I, I, one thing I liked about it too is the very slow like approach. Like he's just kind of very methodical when he's moving and walking and stuff. And even when he's crawling, like I thought it was really well handled. So all, all the monster stuff in the film, I, I didn't really have a problem with. In fact, like I, I'm with you. I'd love to see of all the monsters they could bring back. Like he would be probably my top five. Yeah. Um, I just think he's a monster that I, I really like the more like down to earth monsters. Um, and I mean, geez, he really should have been in GMK. It's... Yeah, that would have made them. I, I agree. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. <sighs> I mean, I, I hate to be that guy, but I just, I, it just, I, it just would have made so much more sense. Um, I will also one thing I noticed also um, about this movie and Godzilla Raids again is these these four legged monsters. Obviously, with them being played by a guy in a suit. You know, you can't do the things that, you know, a Ray Harryhausen could. They have to be on all fours. And um, these the, the, those older movies, when Varan or Anguilas are, um, are crawling around, they took – they pretty deliberately obscured the fact that it was someone walking around on their hands and knees. They, they would put, like, buildings or smoke or something in front of the, the hind legs so you didn't really see that. And, you know, maybe you'd see it in a couple shots, but it was more of an accidental thing. But once once you get to the the late 60s and forwards, they just stopped caring. They were just like, yeah, we'll show these guys crawling around like babies in monster suits. Like, and, and like, I, because I, I, I watched the Varan, um, I watched that to prep for the podcast a little bit, and... I I was just like wow he looks so much more intimidating without noticing that he's someone on their hands and knees you know yeah and they they did a really good job of obscuring that with all the trees and shrubbery and the yeah. in, in the sets and stuff I I thought the sets were really cool looking the yeah the the village the that he attacks that's a great uh, miniature set it's, um but yeah uh, pretty pretty average mediocre movie really probably one of honda's weakest uh sci-fi films really um Veron- i mean veron himself is really cool and for the first half hour it's as good as anything else out there but once it loses focus on the characters and it just turns into a, mon- a pretty much just a 40 minute montage of military stuff it really loses its footing and i'm wondering how much better it would have been had um it had the full funding and and got the american tv release but we'll never know um now the american version of this movie you have not seen right not seen it um man well i i do want to do a whole episode just about you know the the movies that were really sliced up and butchered for american release but um do you have amazon prime I don't, but I do have the Amer- like I have the DVD with the American version. I just didn't get around to watching it. Oh, you do? Yeah, I have. Oh, it. so you have this piece of junk on DVD? <laughs> I do. Okay. Well, anyway, um, it's the same story that it always is. Is they chop out a ton of the Japanese footage. I think. I think the American version has maybe twenty percent of the original footage in it. Um, they give you uh, an American lead actor, this time played by Myron Healy, who, I don't know, maybe if some older people are listening, maybe they'll know who he is. I don't know who this guy is, but uh, he's not good. <laughs> um, 
And I, I, I was really struck. First of all, I'll say ever I got the Japanese version of this movie when I in 1996 at my first conve- convention. So I was 11 when I got the Japanese version, and ever since I got that, I never went back to the American version. More, I probably went back to it maybe twice in the 20 years since. But I remember it so clearly because I, even before I had the Japanese version, I watched it several times, really wanting to get into it, like, because this is still when I'm discovering all these movies, and I couldn't. I found it so just colossally boring. And even as a kid, I was struck by how I, I, I felt something was wrong. And then when I watched it again, maybe when I was a teenager, it really kind of clicked that the American version of this movie is super like racist and sexist because Myron Healy is, uh, you know, some American military guy in Japan, and pretty much he spends the whole movie complaining about how the Japanese don't want to listen to him about any any of his great ideas and blah blah blah. And then he has a wife who's constantly like like fawning over him and like telling him he's like the most amazing man in the world. Oh my gosh. And Varan himself, you get like a fraction of the village attack. Um, this flying sequence is cut out for better or worse. And then the assault on Tokyo is way shorter. And like, you know, he doesn't really interact with anybody. He, it's just Americans talking and, like, he has a Japanese best friend who is really, like, just there to be like, oh, look, the American lead guy, he actually does talk to Japanese people. And it, it's, like, aside from a scene, remember the part where the, the guy and the girl are stuck in the cave and Varane is, like, clawing at the... Yeah. Like, they do that scene again, but with this guy and his Japanese wife... And other than that, he, there's really no direct interaction with Varan or any of the attacks. And um, the American version of this movie is an hour and seven minutes. Wow. Significantly shorter than the Japanese version, but it feels like it's like two hours longer. It's it's just... The only Americanization I would say is worse is uh, Half Human, which we'll get into that debacle another time. But <laughs> it's bad, and... You got it. You got to watch it once, just so you know just how God, abysmal it is. it is. And it's. Uh, I will say the American release had a cool poster, but it, it's it's just a piece of junk. Well, it sounds terrible. Oh yeah, it's awful. <laughs> it sounds terrible. Oh, it's 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 god awful. Um, but uh, that's Varan. Um, how many? Uh, let's see. Flying squirrels. Flying squirrels? Yeah, how many flying squirrels do you give this one? Varani, I'm, gonna go, unbelievable. I'm gonna go two. Okay. I'll do two and a half just because of my fondness for, for the monster. Fair enough. Yeah. We're, we're, we're pretty much on the same page. Uh, the American version gets like... Jeez. Zero. <laughs> uh, between half. a zero and a half. That's... Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> it's... it's, it's you know, I, there's really no reason to watch it other than it's uh, 
uh, as a curiosity. Have you seen the 54-minute Japanese television cut that's on the DVD? No, I've not watched that either. I haven't either. I skimmed through it, and a lot of it is just like a black screen with like because that like is like explaining what's happening because they only had like the audio or something. I don't know. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so um, Varan, not really surprisingly, wasn't that big of a hit. So for a few years, Toho, um, they were doing different kinds of science fiction movies, uh, space operas, alien invasion movies, um, movies about, you know, people turning into to monsters. Um, but then in 1962, we get Mothra, which... Um, 61, by the way. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Yes, 1961, we have Mothra, which was a huge change of pace. Um, it wasn't nearly as dour or bleak as Toho's previous science fiction movies, uh, especially the giant monster ones. Um, it was more of a colorful fantasy. Um, any, I, I guarantee you everyone knows the story, but, um, similar to a lot of these, like, you know, uh, we go into a foreign land and mess something up stories, um, (laughs) Uh, we have a greedy businessman from the fake country of Rolisica, which uh, is a combination of the America and Russia, <laughs> um, which makes sense that the time this movie was made. Um, they kidnap the twin fairies, the Shobajin, and make them sing and perform a show and get rich off of it. And Mothra, who's their... Uh, God, who's a giant moth, uh, comes to save them. Kind of a reversal of King Kong in a way. Um, but this is one of the more, one of the most elegant and well-crafted and just gorgeous to look at movies, I think, in the whole genre. Um, and it's, it's really got, it's, this is really where you see a lot more of the humor and, um, more uh, eccentric characters emerge, and uh, Honda's direction is absolutely stellar. Um, the effects are great. The Mothra prop is one of the very, out of all the different Mothras, still one of the very best. Um, and I was lucky enough to see this movie on a fairly new 35mm print at the Detroit Institute of Arts um, a few years ago, and it's just Especially on a big screen, it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous movie. Um, uh, and, you know, a lot of your Toho uh, main group of actors is is back. Um, you have Hiroshi Koizumi, um, is Chujo, who would show up later as the same character in Tokyo SOS. Um, you have Frankie Sakai, who's always fun, is uh, the, the, the reporter... Um, and it's just a solid movie all around. Um, this is just one where the spectacle, the storytelling, the characters, everything's pretty much top notch. Uh, it's everyone firing on all cylinders. Uh, and I've, I've loved this movie ever since I was a kid and I still love it today. Yeah, it's definitely one of the, the, I mean, probably the best, uh, movies. Also, um, I think this is, uh, Sekizawa's first movie, isn't it? Um, Sekizawa's first movie, I think, was actually Varan. Um, 
But one of his first movies. And... Yeah, but this is this is definitely where his screenwriting formula um, was really solidified. Um, yeah, he did do Varan before this, but this is where all of the things that he would be known for come into play. Like I mentioned, the sense of humor, um, the quirkiness of the characters, the more fun kind of spirit than a, than the earlier Toho films. Like, this is the movie that really kind of made that the norm, I think. The other thing about this movie is the the color palette. I mean, Mothra is, yeah, it's a giant monster, but, like, it's not the... It's not Godzilla. It's not Varan. Like it, it's it's a kind of a contrast between like the the ugliness of the larva and the and the and the beauty of the moth. And it's a really first of all the moth is huge. Like it's <laughs> Mothra is massive in this film. Um, but she she's honestly she's she's strikingly beautiful in as, in terms of like a, a a monster. Like you don't really expect that when you think of like American monster movies. Like you kind of expect this repulsing giant monster creature in the, in in most of your monster films. At least I do. And for them to kind of switch it up and have it um, kind of an elegant creature, like I, I think that's kind of a nice change of pace. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, it, whether it's in the Japanese giant monster movies or just the any giant monsters in general, Mothra is almost a one of a kind creature in that it's a it's a it's a, a monster that is um, is relies on you know its its beauty and its um, you know, it, it's the protector of, of peace and, and life on Earth. And uh, whether you look at uh, anything from American movies, Japanese movies, Korean movies, whatever, I can't off the bat think of another monster like that, especially not something that, you know, is as iconic as Mothra. Mothra is pretty much one of a kind as far as, as giant monsters go. Yeah, and, and honestly, between this and Mothra and Mothra versus Godzilla 1964, like, Mothra really never looks any better probably until, what, Tokyo SOS? Yeah, maybe? Uh, like, Tokyo SOS and Final Wars. I love the yeah. Mothra that they yeah, use. Yeah, I, I agree. Final Wars does have a good Mothra. But, uh, but yeah, um, this, this one is e- either equivalent to that um, – Maybe even better, um, but I mean the, they're neck and neck. But yeah, the the that Mothra is really tough to beat, um, and uh, the larva is even uh, a little bit more. I think I think detailed in this movie uh, yeah, than the because others. The prop is massive. I have a, uh, one of the pictures in. in... Yeah. Well, they they had they had a big prop, and then they had a suit that was operated by a bunch of people. One of them being Nakajima, um, that was used for some of the the more um, like I guess where Mothra had to to look bigger, maybe in in more close up shots and stuff. Yeah, it's um, massive. <laughs> I didn't realize it was actually a suit. The thing is huge. Yeah. Um, and uh, there was actually an original, uh, a, a different ending where um, uh, Nelson, who's the the villain, gets uh, like uh, is uh, like dies on a cliff. Like Mothra kills him on a cliff, which would have been cool, but I they went with something a little bit less um, 
climactic, which is fine. You know, I mean, that's a nitpick, if anything. Um, But it would have been great to see Mothra take him out because that guy's an asshole. Um, (laughs) But no, I mean, it's a classic. I I mean, movies like this I have a little bit less to say on than something like Varan just because I feel like... Yeah. Every, I feel like this is a movie that people know and has earned its status, and, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's just a great movie. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen this, or Rodan for that matter, like, what are you what are you doing? Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. And, and listen, we would probably, we would be remiss um, if we didn't mention Yumi Ito uh, was just recently announced who passed away. She actually passed away back in May. Um, but I guess they just informed the Japanese press, like, I feel like it was, what, two weeks ago, maybe? Yeah. I think it was July, like, July 11th or July 10th, um, and, and she was one of the, the two actresses who played the, the Shobi Jin, and she was one of the, uh, again, the commonly referred to as the Peanuts, and I, I think, you know, they're well-known singing group, and, um, to yeah. me, like, when you think of the Mothra fairies, like, these two are the Mothra fairies. Yeah, you know? they're, they're, they've gone, there's, they've been cast, recast several times at this point, but yeah, these are the, I mean, they're, they're it's them, you know, they're the Mothra twins. Yeah. Like, they're the, there's the best, they're the originals, they're the classics, and um, yeah, it, it sucks they're, they've both passed away now, but, you know, the older we get, the more we have to, you know, <laughs> deal with this. I was just going through, like, Thinking about all the different G Fests I've been to, and now um, Hiroshi Koizumi, who I met, is is gone. Robert Dunham, who I met, is gone. That guy's insane, by the way. Um, <laughs> Dunham is Koichi Kawakita has has passed away. Yeah. So I mean, the the more the the older I get, the more um, you know special it is when these older older guys come out. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, so how many singing fairies do you give Mothra out of five? It was gonna be out of five. It's got this. I mean, this again. This has to be a five out of five. I don't know. How Easily, you can rate it. yeah. Yeah, I can't, can't rate yeah. it any. Um, and this is also one where I, I I do think the American version is is pretty solid too. The dub is good. Um, it doesn't really yeah. it doesn't really mess with the soundtrack much, and the soundtrack is great. Um, it's not a Fukube. I forget the name of the composer, but, um, uh, but yeah, Mothra is awesome. Um, so, uh, I guess at that point we'll go forward a little bit more and go to 1964 and talk about a pretty unique, uh, movie. And again, um, we'll talk about what we think about the actual movie, but I just love the fact that a movie like this even got made because it really goes to show just how willing Toho were to to experiment with with the kaiju formula still you know the fact that they didn't have the formula concrete meant that you know they were more willing to go outside the box and try different ideas and give other monsters their own movies and come up with new monsters um so we're going to talk about Dogora or uh Dagora um depending on if you're watching it uh dubbed or or the Japanese version the Space Monster, uh, 1964, and this is the third. This is one of three kaiju movies that were made by Ishiro Honda with some of the same cast with Subaraya effects, um, 
The same screenwriter wrote all three. Like, I, I don't know what was going on in 1964, but they were really pumping them out at this point. Yeah. Um, and the, this movie is, is pretty bizarre. Um, and uh, it's another Sekizawa script. Um, and uh, here we have uh, Organism from Space who um, uh, comes to Earth and is eating carbon-based minerals – um and this movie uh it's a crime sci-fi comedy um and the whole the the plot is that there's these uh diamond robbers who basically keep getting thwarted by this space monster who is is eating their their diamonds um <laughs> it's and it's his, it's as insane as it sounds <laughs> and then our protagonists are um uh we have a, uh, a police officer and um, a scientist who is studying um, diamonds and how they can maybe be used as a natural resource and coming up with synthetic diamonds and stuff like that. Uh, and in between them is uh, a character by the name of Mark ja- Jackson, played by Robert Dunham, who um, at first they think is a, a third-party crook, but... Um, and the, he, he shortly after that reveals that he's, uh, with, a, a some sort of diamond insurance agency and he's trying to figure out like how to stop these, these, uh, diamond thieves. Do those even exist by the way? Like diamond thieves? No, like it, it, diamond <laughs> insurance people. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I thought it was like with the government agency or something i don't know there's like some espionage thing at the at the very end of the film where he's like oh i was on your side the entire time yeah ha, yeah ha, ha, kind of thing yeah it, yeah like he says like the diamonds that he was that he said that he had that he was like trying to bait the thieves with were fake the whole time because like yeah he was just trying to like get them arrested or something uh anyway uh it's a pretty odd movie <laughs> as i'm sure uh, if people that are listening haven't seen it, can probably tell. Um, uh, and I love the concept of Dogura because he's more or less a, 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 a collective of cells, giant like cells, big blobby cells that come in and melt through safes and stuff to get to the diamonds. And for whatever reason, in the middle of the movie, he takes the form of a giant jellyfish. And um, that's really the only kaiju against the attacking the city scene in the movie, which I wish there was more because I love the design of the giant jellyfish Dogura, and um, I love the effect. Um, do you know how they brought that monster to life? I have no idea. Well, uh, Subaraya had built a the, the giant jellyfish prop, and then he put it in a big aquarium underwater. And he operated it, uh, it was operated underwater to give it that weird, I guess, jellyfish-like movement. So that's actually one of my favorite Tsuburaya effects, is the big Dogura. And I'm not sure if it was for budget reasons or what, but um, we don't get to see that, that thing after that like center point of the movie. We don't get to see that big that big. Uh, prop that big puppet and um so at the end of the movie we really just see like um 
people shooting in the air, really not shooting at anything, and like dropping wasp poison because that's the the monster's weakness, dropping it on like nothing, and it's just, I think it's anticlimactic. I would have loved to see more of the giant jellyfish. Um, but I, I, I always, and there's behind the scenes pictures you can look up too. Um, if I can dig any up, maybe I'll put them on the, on the Facebook page of, of them operating this giant jellyfish puppet under, in, in the water, in this, uh, in this aquarium tank. And it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it sounds pretty awesome. I, I thought, I actually liked this movie quite a bit, um, which I was surprised by cause like, most of the the interactions I had with people were kind of like, eh. People don't really talk about it a lot. Yeah, um, most of the, the reviews I read were kind of like, yeah, it's all right. Um, I, I was mainly, I was dying laughing every time uh, Dunham was on the screen because he's like basically doing judo. <laughs> like, yeah, he's awesome. Karate. And and like he, he just seems to like. He's having a, a blast every time you see him. And uh, he's, like, he, he's just such a weird character. Like. He almost feels like he just came out of a completely different movie. Yeah, he does. But he's awesome. <laughs> Did you know that Toho intended for this to be the first of a Mark Jackson series? I have no idea, but that would have been, I would have totally watched. Yeah. Oh, I would I would have watched the hell out of that. But yeah, that that was something they they wanted to do and I guess this movie um, you know, it, it didn't really it didn't really make um, gain as much interest as they would have liked, but yeah, that was the plan. And uh, from what I understand, um, the movie "The Killing Bottle" uh, with Nick Adams, which was a Toho uh, like gangster movie, crime movie, that unfortunately seems to be lost in Japan and here. There's some stills that are very rare, but um, yeah, a lot of people don't know Nick Adams did three movies with Toho. Um, but from what I understand, that initially started off as a Mark Jackson spinoff, but you know it got rewritten into whatever it turned out to be. Who knows? Because no one seems to have seen it. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, I would have watched the hell out of a Mark Jackson series. That character is just—I don't know what he was doing really, but it was—but it was awesome. <laughs> Um, yeah, he makes, he makes this movie, he, he make he takes like what is kind of an okay movie and he, he, he really puts it over the top for me. Yeah. Um, and you have a lot of the, the, you know, Honda regulars, you have Koizumi, you have Nobuo Nakamura who would show up in, um, Ghidorah, um, Akiko Wakabayashi, who most people probably know from the James Bond movie, Only Live twice um, but she's also the princess in Ghidorah um uh Hideo Amamoto who is the guy that made the uh the toys in Godzilla's Revenge and he played plot device ghost in GMK he's in there um (laughs) but yeah it's um I think a lot of the a lot of my complaints probably uh are more related to just um budget issues and maybe the fact that they were making three of these this in this year um uh but you know regardless it's a really fun movie uh it's such a different take on kaiju movies um and i just love that they were willing to make a movie like this because you know, again, Toho at the time were willing to go all out and just try di- different things, make a bunch of different movies, and just see what sticks. Um, you know, and it, it's a shame that we really wouldn't get 
this kind of, um, I guess, this kind of willingness to go out there after this. Um, but no, it's a really fun movie. Um, I would have liked more of the giant jellyfish Dogura, but you know, it's it's still fun regardless, and it moves at a fairly quick pace. Um, yeah. I was never like I was never bored. I was never waiting for the plot to advance. Like every time I wanted something to happen, Mark Jackson would show up and you chop somebody in the face. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How many space jellyfish do you give this out of five? This is this is like a three. This is a three and and on like a very generous day, a three and a half. Like I just enjoyed the crap out of the movie. Yeah, I would give it a a three also. um, But I don't want people to think that I think think that it's not like any good because of that like it's a three but i also feel like the movie is really underrated and not i don't feel like enough people have seen it um and dogra is another monster that i would have loved to see again just because it's it's one of toho's weirdest monsters um and as far as i know the only other things he's really showed up in is like um a couple video games and uh the godzilla island TV series from the 90s that was made with all all Bandai and Marmot toys. Have you seen any of that, by the way? <laughs> no. Oh, man. I've actually not. Oh, boy. Well, hopefully you'll still talk to me once I make you watch some of it. Um, Wait, the Monster Island thing? Is that what you're talking about? Godzilla Island, yeah. Oh, yeah. The God, I, I've You know, I tried to watch some of it because somebody's like, hey, Godzilla Island's on YouTube. And I was like, oh, let's watch this. And I watched, like four or five episodes and i just i i couldn't couldn't do it (laughs) i got the series on dvd and i i got through like the first couple discs and i was just like i i can't do this (laughs) yeah it's 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 not (laughs) i can't i I couldn't do it man but you know what we're gonna have to talk about it at some point i'm sorry that's true yeah the yeah i mean like now keep in mind i was watching it without like I think I saw some with and some without subtitles, so... Man, subtitles I, aren't going to make that thing make any sense. It... Well, I know, like, I'm just watching <laughs> these, like, boys that fight... I don't I don't know what was going on. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... it's. I don't quite understand it either. Um, but Dogura showed up in that. Uh, I mean, that's cool, I guess. It's not as cool as another movie, but... Um, okay, so, last but not least... Um, we're going to go forward, um, about six years and it's funny what can happen in six years. Um, because now we've gone to like the height of the golden age of the Kaiju boom to really the beginning of the end for a little while. Um, (laughs) the late sixties and all the way through the 70s the japanese movie industry was struggling so hard because of what was going on uh with everyone just watching tv and you know in, in japan people just weren't going to the movies um so right there you know toho and really every studio weren't making as many movies um and had to make them a lot cheaper um, so that's where we are in time, and also we have A.G. Subaraya has passed away, um, relatively close to when this movie was, um, starting. I think maybe 
in the very early pre-production, he might have still been around, but he had passed away before this movie really got going. Um, he passed away kind of around the time Godzilla's Revenge was was coming out. Um, so in addition to just all the budget problems and all the struggles that they're going through uh, just in the industry as a whole, you also have a staff that's really not very confident anymore um, because Tsuburaya was pretty much their leader. He was the... the if 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 th- this would be like what Marvel, what would Marvel do if Kevin Feige died? Like it's like it, it it really just you know you had a lot of people that really didn't um, know how to do the things that he did, um, and so uh, promoted the director of special effects is Taisho Arakawa who was Subaraya's assistant. So th- this is also before. Nakano got promoted to director of special effects. So Arakawa, I mean, he's a talented guy, but he didn't have the kind of supervision that he usually had under Subaraya. So, you know, he's really not very confident. Um, Honda is kind of getting burnt out on doing kaiju movies at this point, and um, he's doing a lot of TV work just to, you know, keep food on the table. So um, you really have a lot of people who aren't as... uh, you know, is is into what they're doing. Um, and also, after this movie, uh, a lot of the classic Toho stars' contracts were up, and Toho was no longer working with the, you know, the the studio actor deals where, you know, they would sign on and just get assigned new projects, you know. So this is the last time you see uh, these casts of, like, Akira Kubo and... Yoshio Tsuchiya and Kenji Sahara all together. Um, so this movie is really kind of... And that's part of why I just threw it into this podcast, is this movie is kind of sandwiched between these two eras. And it's it's kind of just awkwardly sitting there. Um, so... Uh, so that's, that's where we get Yogg. Um, <laughs> Or Space Amoeba, if you go by Toho's official U.S. title. I've always called it Yogg. Um, yeah, Yogg is... I like Yogg. Yogg, monster from space. Um, and so, like I said, it's not quite a solo kaiju movie. But again, I, I could not figure out anywhere else to, to put this uh, as far as like talking about it on the podcast. Because it's not really deserving of its own episode either. So... Um, so this is what we're going to go out on. And, uh, I, I mean, I guess just getting into the story, um, some uh, people are looking for uh, just looking for locations where I think it's like they want to open a theme park or something, right? Is that what it is? Yeah, so they they have like the was the, the space probe or whatever. Yeah, that, yeah. That, yeah, that opened up in the beginning of the film. Yeah, and it and comes like back to Earth that, with like a yeah. – a space virus on it or something. I, whatever it is, yeah. I don't really know. An alien thing. Yeah, it's an alien thing that basically starts possessing other things. Which I'm assuming is what what Yogg is, right? Yeah, that, that like that's sort of ambiguous. Like, it, it, it's, there's, it's kind of shrouded in ambiguity. I will say point. I have never seen the AIP dub, so, I, so maybe Yogg is something that they say there. I've only seen the international dub and the subtitled Japanese version. 
Yeah, I've I've actually only seen the Japanese version because that's that's what I could find. Yeah. Um. Yeah, even when I was younger, I couldn't find the Yogg version. Uh, when I was like in elementary school, when I was first discovering these movies, I had to get like a VHS fan sub of the Japanese version. So I'm not familiar with the actual American version. Um, but uh, anyway, this this. So the you have a, a journalist, a photographer, a scientist. They all go to this island, and um, the space thing is just choosing different creatures to be a host. Um, so it chooses. It, it, at first, we have uh, Gezora, the giant uh, cuttlefish. Then, um, uh, and then when he gets killed, uh, it possesses a crab, which would be Ganime. And then it possesses a turtle, which would be Kamebus, um, who would show up in Tokyo SOS in, like, the most disrespectful cameo ever. <laughs> um, that I, I did enjoy that cameo just because it, like, you know, it was just, like, a, a hint at a bigger universe. But it's like, come on. Um, uh, and, um, and then at the end when uh, – oh, and it possesses Kenji Sahara's character Obata – and um, I don't really know what the motivation of this alien creature is. Trying to take over the world. Well, I guess. But that's like the most generic explanation. But that, and... that's what it actually says. In the movie. <laughs> <laughs> like It's like, I'm going to take over the world. <laughs> like um, so I guess the fact that it's possessed Obata and some of the monsters shows that it can possess more than one thing at the same time. That's correct. Um, but, one, but the monsters end up getting free of the possession... And they fight, um, and it's Ganime versus Kamebus. Uh, unfortunately, Gazora never came back, which which disappointed me as a kid because he's my favorite of the three. Yeah, I, I'm gonna have to say Kamebus is, is is the best. Yeah, he's yeah he's pretty cool too. Um, and uh, Nakajima was Gazora, I believe. Um, That's correct. And um, so I mean, uh, yeah, and then you have your your cast of uh plucky characters um characters in this yeah yeah and they're they're trying to overcome uh crazy kenji sahara and and these these <laughs> giant monsters and it's not it's definitely not the best movie um and uh you can tell that you know the it's it's not as carefully produced as the other movies that came before it. Um, and a lot of that has to do with Tsuburaya being gone. Um, and I don't, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to go as far as to say the people making the movie didn't know what they were doing, but they definitely didn't have the leadership that they had under Tsuburaya. And, um, Ishiro Honda, you know, even, even he, I mean, him and Tsuburaya were the guys that made these movies happen. And, you know, even he that, that really took the wind out of his sails, and um, Teruyoshi Nakano, who um, wasn't the director of special effects on this movie, but he still had a big hand in it. He said after Subaraya died, and I quote, "I didn't know how to live anymore." So that just goes to show how you know strong of a connection everyone had to him and just how much his leadership and his expertise and his craft really carried these movies. And a lot of the growing pains uh, that you can literally see 
you know where they're struggling when you watch this movie and you you throughout this and the next couple Godzilla movies you can you can sense the growing pains that the the filmmakers are going through to get these movies done the best that they can um and yeah, when I, that's sorry. why this movie is the way it is. What I was saying, I thought you were when you were talking about some of the actors that were in the movie when I was talking, like Akira Kubo, hey, <laughs> um, right. What I, the, the thing is, like they have some some good actors. Like they ha- you have your Akira Kubo, you have Kenji Zahara, you have uh, uh, Yoshi was uh, I can't say his last name. You you probably can, uh, but you have like. Uh, a Fuka Bay score in this is pretty good. Like there, there's some good things to like in the film, but you're right. Like there's some obvious points of uh, struggle, I guess, kind of throughout. And like it's sort of a it's a it's a movie that I like, but it doesn't. I don't I don't know. Like the there's a couple scenes in the film and I'm just kind of like eh. I, I wish it would move, it would either pick up the pace or like it just kind of feels generic in a way. Like we we've kind of already seen all this stuff before. Um, I do. I do think though, like the end of the film, you know, they're going back to the volcano thing. We we saw. We talked about that earlier with with Rodan. Um, just just like some weaknesses in the script, I think were probably part of the issue as well. At least I, I don't know. That that was my take on the whole thing. But yeah. I, it's it's a movie that when I watched it, like I didn't hate it. I didn't. Yeah. I think it was. It's it was a the worst fun movie, movie but it's you know. I mean, if you're if we're gonna be critical about it, it's got a lot of yeah. you know. It, it's 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 just not as classy or elegant a production of is something like Mothra or you know. No, I mean, no, it's it's all, it's yeah. really kind of run of the mill fare. Um, the island setting is cool. It's always nice to see you know. Um, this isn't the first kaiju movie that's done that. You've had a couple of Godzilla movies at this point, but you know it's a it's a it's a different locale. Um, it's interesting seeing Kenji Sahara play a character who's more tortured and and you know gets possessed by by the the evil alien. Um, from what I understand, that was originally supposed to be Yoshio Tsuchiya, who was almost typecast in roles like this, and Kenji Sahara was going to be the scientist, and then. Um, the two actors approached Honda and said, like, hey, can we swap roles because, you know, we've played these same characters a billion times and be fun to, you know, do the opposite. And he said, yeah, sure, that's a great idea. So, um, so, I mean, it's fun to see that, like, kind of role reversal. Um, uh, But, yeah, you can definitely tell, especially looking at the effects, that, you know, they they aren't being handled by, you know, uh, someone is like a ag subaraya the monsters move a little bit more awkwardly than <laughs> you know like than what we're used to um and a lot of that is just but like i said it's, it's it's growing pains this is this is the first time these guys had to do this by themselves and you know that that's why you know this movie has all these warts um and also uh this it's a first time screenwriter who uh it's a ogawa who wrote um he wrote like the Toho Dracula movies and some other things for Toho. Um, and you can kind of tell that he's probably just kind of picking and choosing, you know, the tropes from a lot of the, the classic movies. Um, you know, probably maybe this being his first script, maybe he wasn't all that confident in what he was doing. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's not a bad movie. I think it's a lot more fun than people probably give it credit for. Um, 
So, um, I don't know. How many possessed Kenji Saharas would you give Yogg out of five? <laughs> um, it's it, it's probably like a two and a half. Like, I definitely enjoy some bits of it. It's got some some weak points, but it it's still like it's still fun. I'll go watch it again. So yeah, definitely. I would I would go more towards a three, just because it, I I do find it super entertaining. But yeah, it's it's definitely uh, got its fair share of of issues. Um. For a movie this obscure, it is weird how often you see the like Gazora and Kamebas show up in like comic books or video games. Like they seem to be pretty popular for like these C list kaiju. That's always that's kind of weird to me. Yeah, like it showed up in the Nintendo mm-hmm. Godzilla Monster Monsters. I'm like, who? What? Like as a kid, I had no idea where this monster came from. Yeah, same here. I actually, um, if anyone out there has this, is, because before the internet, you know, I was able to through different comic books um, and and like uh, in the editorial pages where people would write in, like for the the Godzilla, the Dark Horse Black and White Godzilla special. Um, there was an article in there about like, that's where I found out about some of the movies that weren't mentioned in the Ian Thorne book, like Atragon and stuff. And for the life of me, I couldn't figure out where the hell Gazora came from because I knew him from the video game. So if you guys have G fan number 13, look in the letters column and you'll see a very brief, maybe two sentence letter by a 12, geez. By I think a ten or eleven year old me <laughs> asking JD Lee's where did Gazora come from? And it's just a very simple answer that he, he came from the movie Yogg Monster from Space. And that's how I found out that this movie even existed. Those are the links that people my age had to go through <laughs> to find some of this stuff. We couldn't just plug it into Google and, and figure it out on our cell phone in the snap of a finger. We had to actually look for answers, which is part of the fun. However, I do love the convenience of Google and Wikipedia. I won't lie. Yeah, but uh, like, do kids even understand what dial-up internet was like? Like, even even having internet initially, like the the slowness and the pain of that noise when you connected to AOL the first time, and it was like, <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, uh, um, anyone that has that G fan, uh, take a second look at it, and you might you might just see my my name in there. I was much You're younger. Bird. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, that that's that was my. That's what broke me out. That's why what everyone knows me from. Um, okay, so that's Yogg. Um, hopefully, people understand why this movie is. This is this movie is crammed into an odd spot in the Toho filmography. So it only makes sense that it's crammed into an odd spot on our podcast, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, but no, it's, it's a lot of fun and, um, yeah, we're, we're, we are going to get to the other stuff. Um, the mutant movies, Matango, the Mysterians, Battle in Outer Space, yada, 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 War of the Gargantuas, King Kong Escapes on other episodes. But these are like kind of, I guess, I guess, I guess it would make more sense to these are, say these are the real, like really like the standalone movies, which is why, you know, we, we, 
want to just do them as their own episode. So, um, and I really enjoyed doing this because doing we're probably not going to release them in this order, but we did all the Godzilla movies sequ- sequentially. So I was getting very kind of burnt out on talking about movies that I've already talked about to death. So talking about some of these other movies that we don't talk about as much was a real, hopefully it it felt like a breath of fresh air to me and hopefully the listeners will feel that way as well. Yeah. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm looking forward to Matango by the way. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, that's one of my favorites. Um, okay. So I guess, uh, next up, um, uh, we're we're obviously going to put up another Godzilla episode, whether it's either Showa Part Two or Heisei. Not sure, but and then also you are going to Fandom Fest next weekend, correct? Yes, that's going to be man once in a lifetime opportunity for me. I get to meet uh, four Godzilla suit actors, including Nakajima, which uh, that's the most exciting one for me anyway. Uh, plus Ultraman, the original Ultraman. And I get to have dinner with all four of them. That is, is like, awesome. Yeah, um, well, so I was thinking because I actually just got back from G Fest um, after Fandom Fest. We should just do a, a convention episode and yeah, that would be great. That I think it's a great idea. Um, uh, so yeah, you guys can look forward to that. Um, and uh, yeah, that's. I think that pretty much wraps it up. Um, uh, and uh, also, we're going to be doing very soon, also, we're going to do our first Gamera episode. Um, so, yeah, uh, there's a lot of stuff that we have planned. Uh, so, hopefully you guys have enjoyed this. Hopefully you've enjoyed revisiting these movies with us. And maybe, hopefully, you learned something. But probably not. <laughs> <laughs> You're so you're so positive, Bird. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, cool. Uh, all right, yeah. Anything you want to throw out there? I mean, you're you're good. I'm I'm looking forward to Phantom Fest and, and our next. Uh, um, and just and just talking about the the cons and stuff. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, and um, really quick, I do want to plug the recent Blu-ray release of Ray Harryhausen Special Effects Titan from Arrow Video. Um, Arrow puts out a lot of like cult movies and obscure movies, and uh, they somehow got the rights to this really excellent Harryhausen documentary, um, and it's awesome. It was on Netflix for a while. I don't. Did you catch it at all? No, and I, and I regret that because I've heard really good stuff about it. Yeah, um, I would say. I mean, if you're into Harryhausen at all, I would say just just blind by it because Arrow Arrow's kind of like a more niche version of Criterion. They load things up with extras. The, the documentary itself is awesome. You have old interviews with Harryhausen and Ray Bradbury. You have um, every, every everyone who is important to nerds is on here just talking about how, how much they love Harryhausen and the influence of the different movies. So you have, uh, Guillermo del Toro, Edgar Wright, Joe Dante, John Landis, um, Tim Burton, James Cameron, Steven Spielberg. It's, it's like a who's who of, of, of like our heroes. And, um, it goes through like the history of, so yeah, you should get that. And everyone listening should get that. And uh, because Ray Harryhausen is awesome. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I-, I love the Harryhausen movie, so I definitely need to check that out. Um, 
yeah. Uh, okay, so we'll end on that note. Um, all right, so we will see you guys next time. Um, bye. <laughs> Thank you.